Hello and welcome back to the latest episode of the Master None Podcast. I'm your host Stephen Murphy. Uh, we're doing some NBA chat tonight, no rugby uh, like the last few weeks, but we've got our good friend Johnny Byrne back um, from Atlantic Sports uh, Podcast. Um, thanks again for joining us, Johnny. Uh, we talked obviously a, a bit a while ago about the first kind of playoff uh, round, kind of giving our previews. We're sort of we're around in now, so we've seen some good stuff, some bad stuff. So we'll, we've got a lot to kind of get tucked into. But first of all, how are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me on, Stephen. Um, I know we'd said before we kind of previewed the playoffs that we'd chat maybe once the first round was done. And, you know, it's 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 mad how quickly these playoffs have gone because nearly this this this, this uh, Eastern and Western Conference semifinals are nearly over. Uh, some of the series have already finished. So time is escaping us, I think. I know. Miami have a serious advantage. Like, they're already in. Conference finals yeah. is chilling. And, like... The Celtics and Raptors could go to seven, and it's a serious advantage for them. But um, they seem to be the Eastern Conference have seen they got a good few days head start on the Western Conference. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but uh, interesting yeah. to see how that kind of pans out. But yeah, look, what we'll do is we'll kind of we'll go over round one, kind of hit our a few points that we thought I think well I think everyone would say it was um, noteworthy. Uh, and then we'll get it sort of into the current second round and see how we get on. So we'll start in the West. Obviously, first round, uh, we saw the Lakers beating the Blazers 4-1. Um, we thought, I, I'm pretty sure our predictions, I think I said six, Lakers in six. I can't remember what you said, Johnny. But I think the, the Lakers or the, the Blazers sort of just kind of run out of steam towards it. I think they they had a very tough bubble. They were, you know, playoff games as soon as they got in there, but pretty much compared to the Lakers. And they just looked a bit tired come, I think, that uh, game two, three, four and five. Yeah, I think as well, they were, I think I might have had them in five or six, and I think I expected them to kind of do well at the start, but then the Lakers to run away towards the end, because they obviously, you know, had uh, the kind of tough run of the end of the regular season to try and even qualify for the playoffs. And obviously, you know, once they qualified, it was nearly as if they just had to start a new battle after that, which was a lot to, to... to ask of them to after you know nearly playing playoff esque games in the regular season, but uh, I think they just got hampered with injuries. You know, Damian Lillard was out for at least a game or two towards the end of the series. Uh, defensively, they were just really kind of left open because when you're relying on the likes of Carmelo Anthony and Hassan Whiteside to, to guard LeBron and Anthony Davis, I think you're you're talking trouble there. So unfortunately, yeah. defensively, just weren't able to match them. Yeah, I think I think you're right, but a lot of positive to be taken from the Blazers there, as you know, your nucleus of McCollum, Lillard, and Nurkic, that's a good a good nucleus to have. Uh, I know they're in a tough Western division or conference, but like Nurkic really really impressed me. You know, from bubble and playoffs, I thought he was absolutely brilliant, and like seems to really enjoy a good competitive fight. Uh, and obviously, we know how good Lillard is and McCollum late in the game. And you know, McCollum was carrying a back injury. You know, apparently, by all accounts, had broken his back in some area, which was just which sounds oh like that's going to keep you out for a couple of games, but it didn't. Amazingly enough, mm. uh, Lakers again, sort of in some parts, kind of going through the motions here. Um, like they sort of sometimes they do that. They you know, the only person in the playoffs who might have that switch is LeBron. He can turn it on and off, but it's whether the rest of his team has or not. But we'll get on to them um, later on. Rockets versus OKC in the first round. Seven-game kind of thriller. I think, you know, well, I would imagine most neutrals wanted OKC to win this just because of the storylines. You have CP3 kind of against his old team and uh, sort of David versus Goliath in a lot of ways. But Rockets came out good in the game seven. But 
I was absolutely good for the Thunder just because, you know, CP3 was as good as I've seen him in a long, long time. He was, you know, he looks, CP3's always kind of been a little bit baby fattish, you know, never been like ripped or anything like that. But he looked in really good lean condition. He was hitting some major clutch shots at the end of games, running the offense, good nucleus of young players around him, and it seemed to really, really click for them, which was great. Uh, Thunder then unfortunately just kind of had too much in the end obviously missing Westbrook for the first few games hampered the Thunder oh sorry hampered the Rockets and Harden I don't know as I said before I'm not a big fan of Harden but he came in and out of games a lot but at the end he ends up coming up with a big block uh, on Lugens Dort who has really emerged in the series as a I don't want to say a potential superstar but he was definitely an incredible role player and defensively locked in on Harden a lot which is going to get you paid a lot in this league. So what were your kind of thoughts on this series? Obviously, I think, I don't know, what was your predictions for that one? I can't remember. I think we both had OKC in seven, Okay. as far as I'm aware. And unfortunately, you know, we were a game off or, or whatever yeah. it ended. But, you know, I, it wasn't a surprise as the series went on that it was kind of swiveling towards the Rockets because obviously Westbrook was missing for the first couple of games and having him back, you know, adds a bit of... Uh, a threat, I guess, on offense. And the Thunder, sometimes it looked like they had it all. It looked like Chris Paul, the kind of floor general, was controlling the narrative of the games. But then there were some games where he didn't shoot well or he didn't, you know, come up with much points on the offensive end. But as you mentioned, Lugan Stort kind of emerging from this series as, you know, relatively you know, unknown personality before the bubble and now obviously will be highly sought after. And, you know, even defensively, he did a great job on James Harden and that was kind of his primary role. But in game seven, he was the go-to man when it came to the offense, putting up 30 points. And almost if he had sank that uh, final three in game seven, that would have really put his name on the map, I think. But, oh, yeah. you know, of course, Harden came in for the block. So, I know. yeah, no, no not much to add there, to be yeah. honest, just... You know, pity for the Thunder, but they've a lot to look forward to, as you mentioned, with the young core of Gilgis Alexander Dort and Darius Baisley off the bench as well. They'll be uh, hoping for maybe a better run next year. The, the, well, they have a dilemma with CP3, unfortunately, because we know how good he is, but he is, I think, due to make 41 million next year, and then the next year after that, 44 million, which is ridiculous numbers. So mm. I don't know if they, it obviously was good, it worked this year. But for that price, you really need to be contending. So I don't know. They might look. I've seen already some rumors of him to the Bucks. Um, so that could be interesting with Giannis and CP3. But um, we'll move on. Then again, the kind of last first round match in in round one in the West was, of course, the Clippers versus Dallas, um, which was an incredibly entertaining series as well. Um, in our preview podcast, I was very high on Luka Doncic. <laughs> And he really showed up in the series. It was just incredible. Like he for the for the series, he averaged thirty one points, nine assists, and ten rebounds. So one assist off, averaging pretty much a, a triple double. Um, game four obviously was his highlight: forty three points, seventeen rebounds, thirteen assists, and the game winner in overtime. Which, as I was saying to you before, I watched that live. I was sitting here with my girlfriend, and we watched that game. And I actually was giving out about him hitting so many step back trees because. It's not like a good presented shot. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care who you are. It's not a good presented shot, especially when you do it as often as he does. But, you know, the final play of the game, we know who to get in the ball and he just gets it, steps back. and He's unbel- He's just incredible for someone so young. The issue now with this the Dallas Mavericks team is Porzingis, when he's healthy, it works. 
it's very dynamic. It's very, you know, wins a lot of games. But is can you keep him healthy for a full season, for a full playoffs? The answer so far in his career is no. Uh, and that's obviously disappointing. And you need someone, like, Luca is, like, you know, world class. You need someone there to be his Robin to his Batman, basically. Um, mm-hmm. Which, is it Porzingis? I hope it is, because, you know, Porzingis adds an incredible amount of versatility. But can you keep on the floor, basically? What did you think when you saw the series? Well, I mean, credit to you, Stephen, for this, because I was a bit of a, a Luca and a Mavericks hater coming into the series. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I predicted them to do as well as they did. And to be honest, if they were able to stay healthy, because Doncic went off in games with injuries, uh, Porzingis obviously missing a chunk of the series towards the end. Uh, and obviously, they, I think it was a game one where there was that ridiculous, flagrant yeah. foul on on, on, on Porzingis as well. So they just had a lot of bad, bad luck. And if luck had been on their way, you know, they won- they got two games despite, you know, all that happening against them. So cr- honestly, credit to you, Stephen, for buying into them uh, because the stock has risen after this series. Oh my God, but- yeah. <laughs> Luke is not my sne- problem. Yeah, he's not sneaking up on anyone anymore, unfortunately. No, no, he's, he's out there now. Yeah. But no, my problem was always just the depth with the Mavericks. And if the likes of a Przingis or a Doncic went down, you know, who else are they relying on? And unfortunately, you know, that was the case. They didn't really have the players there to really step up to face the Kawhis and Paul Georges. And we know how deep the, the Clippers are and, and how many players they can run on, on any given night. So, um, yeah, 4-2 and, you know, an interesting uh, clip, a series for the Clippers, I guess, not as invincible as a lot of people think they are. Yeah, I, I will say I know people will say I'm very biased towards the Mavericks and, and Luca, but it you know it was very lucky that Paul George absolutely stunk the first mm-hmm. three or four games of the series, so that did help. But obviously not having Porzingis for the last two games uh, wasn't easy either. But look at the clip or the the Mavs are in a good situation. They have a very young superstar and Porzingis is still young. If you can get Porzingis healthy and get a couple of more role players around him, um, around that core then it's only going to be positive things in the future. So let's just hope that they both stay healthy because if, you know, I want I want a world where Luca is just, you know, rampaging in the, in the NBA because he is so exciting to watch. Okay, enough Luca talk. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everyone listening. <laughs> uh, we'll go over to the East. The East was the total opposite of the West, uh, total kind of whitewash. We had basically... Three sweeps and a and a four one win for the Bucks. So we'll we'll glance through this pretty quickly. But the Bucks beating Orlando four uh, one. Orlando taking the first game, which I think shocked a lot of people. Um, I'd imagine that was a lot, probably just due to the Bucks kind of being like, okay, we're actually in the playoffs here. We need to start playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think as well. I don't think we took into it uh, into account enough in our preview of the fact that there is no home court advantage. Uh, I think that's why we saw a lot of call, a couple of upsets in, in a few games. I think is due to that because there's no there's no intimidating atmosphere, there's no mm. crowds two feet from you shouting at you when you're trying to hit a shot. So, I think that's what kind of helped the Orlando Magic. Um, you know, decent enough team. Aaron Gordon played pretty well, but Bucks then uh, winning four on the trot. Um, anything you want to add to that kind of series? Uh, not really, just yeah. the fact that Aaron Gordon went off injured towards the end of the series and obviously then the writing was on the wall, so no, a nice warm-up for the Bucks. Yeah, um, Miami sweep, um, oh, I'm after, we didn't even talk about Denver-Utah in the West, apologies, we're going to go back talk Denver-Utah because that was a seven-game trailer as well, apologies mm-hmm. to everyone listening. Uh, it became the, the Murray versus Mitchell show, uh, basically, which was incredible yeah. and no one sort of... 
well, we all knew Mitchell and Murray were good, but not not this level good. Uh, I think Murray had fifty points twice in like the space of three games. Um, uh, but the real sh- but the, okay, we'll talk about Murray. So we've seen sort of spurts from players like this before. T.J. Warren obviously being one of the recent ones there in the bubble, and has since you know in the Miami series totally cooled down. Is this who Murray is, or is this a, a kind of a flash in the pan? What do you think? It's it's kind of almost feels like there's a regular season Murray and uh, a, a kind of playoff because I feel like he last year we even saw glimpses of you know how well he can be offensively and even sometimes during the regular season he can put up 30 40 points on any given night but it is quite rare but for him to do it I guess kind of back to back in a way in in this series was really really impressive and even watching some of those games then the stretch where Jamal Murray would get the ball, bring it down the court, shoot a three. Then Donovan Mitchell would get the ball, bring it down the court. You know, it was just an absolute duel between the two young guards, which I think is, you know, great to see in terms of the future of the league. So I don't know. I'd be more probably erring on the side of that he can uh, be uh, one of these kind of big time shooters and big time players for the Nuggets. I would, I'll give him a bit of credit because I feel like not a lot of people are buying into the Jamal Murray stock. What, how do you feel about him? I I'd, I'll need to see it a bit more, obviously, um, yeah. just because we've seen it before. Like you know, remember Lynn Sanity? You know, these things these things do kind of <laughs> happen for a while, unfortunately. Um, mm-hmm. But I I will need to see sort of uh, kind of more uh, more consistency. But he was incredible. Um, he was incredible in that series, and so was Mitchell. They were just in, in, amazing. But um, I thought Porter Junior really Junior really kind of showed what he is capable of, which is being mm-hmm. like he's obviously an amazing athlete. He's got a, a pretty good shooter's touch, but much, you know, room to improve in every aspect, which is also always good. Defensively, he definitely was targeted, and he, I think, he admitted that himself in an interview. He was like, "Yeah, I'd target me too." Um, he's a rookie, so um, again, room to improve in that sense as well. So he, you know, if he becomes kind of the star he has, you've got a pretty good, uh, you know, three three man game there. Uh, you know, Utah, Utah are good, but. Is having your two best players, Mitchell and Gobert, is it good enough in that Western Conference? At the moment, I don't think it is, uh, which is kind of an awkward situation to be in because you're you're not bad by any means, but you're not title contenders either. Um, so that's kind of... I don't, what do you think about the Mitchell and Gobert combo? Yeah, I mean, I think they really missed Bojan, but I've spaced the floor a little bit for, for them and who, you know... The year before last uh, for the Pacers was almost their number one option once Victor Oladipo went out. So, you know, that he would have been a really important player in that series, but would he have been enough? Do they, you know, serious questions I think about Mike Conley and the money they're giving him. I think he's kind of past his prime in terms of being, you know, the, the first or second option on a team. So, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a good duo, definitely in terms of offense, defense, but no, definitely not in the West to go deep in the playoffs. Yeah, I think so too. I want to add just as well. It was amazing, you know. All, all the games, the first six games, were all well into the hundred points, you know, uh, shootouts. And then the last game, game seven, a lot of game seven, first game sevens for probably a lot of players in the series, eighty points to seventy-eight. It's just sort of like, oh shit, we're in a really intense basketball game here. Yeah. And the shooting arm <laughs> sort of tightens up, but uh, obviously, yeah, Denver moving on in a in a in an amazing series. So credit to them, but. Okay, we'll go back. Sorry, to the East now. Uh, Miami sweeping the Pacers four nil. I think we, I think, I think we both expect this to be a bit more competitive than it was. But 
was sort of foreshadowing how good this Miami Heat team actually are as a unit. Um, Pacers really never got got going again. Oladipo only coming back from a long injury, so he was never going to be the same player that he was yet. I'm sure he will. Uh, T.J. Warren, as I said before, totally cooled off compared to what he was um, in the in the last few regular season games. Uh, and Miami just a solid, good team. Like Jimmy Butler, obviously is their star. Uh, and late game they turned to him a lot, which is understandable. But you know you always see these stats with the Miami Heat: five starters and you know double digit scoring and. It's it's very hard to defend against that because you don't know who is... Obviously, late game, it's probably going to be Butler, but you still have to watch out for Tyler Hero. You still have to watch out for Jay Crowder, who's hitting these shots that, you know, not always goes down. You know, Duncan Robertson, you still have other threats that you have to watch out. And Butler is... But, you know, he's the alpha dog of this team, don't get me wrong, but he's willing to pass the ball if he has to. And he seems to really believe in this team. You, could, you know, he seems to... We've seen him implode other teams before when he doesn't respect his teammates. But that doesn't seem to be the case here in Miami, uh, and it's working out very well. So, uh, what, this Miami team, uh, what kind of were you expecting this from them? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd said it on the last podcast. I was buying into the Miami Heat suck, and I'm kind of glad I did because from the games I watched from them in the bubble, I thought they were the best team uh, in Orlando going into the playoffs. I just felt like they were the most complete. They were playing as a unit, you know, really, really well, and the depth and the three-point shooting and just how well coached they were it was it was evident going into the playoffs um and i think we as you said we both expected the pacers to put up a bit more of a fight here that's not what happened and we know what the heat have done down the stretch in the next round so uh I, i'll probably hold off my heat kind of glory talk yeah, until <laughs> we talk with the books but yeah. uh I'm, look very impressive and shout out to tj warren who might be a bit of a flash in the pan, yeah. as you mentioned. <laughs> oh, TJ Warren beef. Love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, on to Celtic Sixers. Obviously, this series was sort of disappointing from even from the get-go because obviously Simmons was out injured. But um, Celtics just, again, similar to Miami Heat in a lot of ways, a really good, solid team where no one is really the star. Obviously, they have Tatum and Brown and Kemba Walker. But very much ball is shared around and those teams are tough to defend against in the playoffs. But... We have to talk about the Sixers. You need, in my opinion, this needs to be blown up. You need to trade either Embiid or Simmons. I don't really care which one, but it's not working, and it has not worked for quite a while now. Um, I don't like Embiid's attitude. I don't like his the fact that he's tweeting so much now when they're out and saying basically how much he loves Jimmy Butler. And you know, I, don't, I wouldn't like that if I was a GM of a team personally. Um, I'm not saying you should trade him. He's obviously a fantastic player. I think he's a better player than Simmons is, but it's not working and you need to do something. Do you agree? I do. And like, to be honest, the big problem here is and I'm going to completely shit on the 76ers because I thought oh, they were yes. absolutely disgraceful. Uh, considering the money they spent in the offseason, considering the talent they have at their disposal, and, you know, I will give Cutthams some slack in that Ben Simmons was missing and as a Celtics fan I've watched a lot of 76ers Celtics games they're kind of the what I would call the kind of one of the more heated rivalries in the East and whenever I had watched I think it could have been maybe their second meeting uh, this regular season uh, Simmons just controlled the narrative of the game he just was able to run rampant on the Celtics so I really think he was an asset they really missed in this series in particular but the real problem going down the stretch here uh, is the money they have tied to Al Horford and Tobias Harris. 
who are two of the more, you know, arguably two of the more terrible contracts in the league after this series. Tobias Harris was awful, uh, just a kind of, you know, volume shooter that put up, you know, kind of baseless statistics. Al Horford towards the end of the series was getting a bit more into it, but, you know, Al Horford spent several seasons at the Celtics. This should be a series that he gets up for and plays his best basketball. And to be honest, I think a lot of this stemmed from the way this team was coached. And I was pretty happy to see Brett Brown uh, get his walking papers after this series because you could clearly see that there was no direction in, with this team whatsoever, especially with such a, a, a talent like Joel Embiid to go 4-0 to a Celtics team that I think is very good, but definitely beatable in, in one or two games at least. So, look, I thought the 76ers were absolutely crap. And, yeah, I think you, you do have to blow it up. And I'd probably get rid of Embiid if, if I had to choose. Okay. Well, the yeah. I, the irony in all this is that the Sixers tanked for so many years so that they wouldn't become this sort of yeah. you know team that is not really contending and not crap at the same time. And that's exactly what they've become uh, in the East. You know, So what did they just start again, blow it up, start tanking again? Uh, until you get it right, it's 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 not easy being a GM. Don't get me wrong, but the 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 process um, has it's been titled. It hasn't worked, and no. it's I don't know I don't know what the next steps are. We look at the argument for trading Simmons. Obviously, as I said, actually doesn't look that good because we saw four games with an Embiid led team, and they look crap. So maybe you're right. Maybe they should have traded Embiid. I think his attitude, as I said, needs to be really worked on. Um, he is still young don't get me wrong and his talent is incredible but he's obviously not happy there so I don't know what they have to do but they need to do something again because at the moment they're sort of in no man's land and as you say paying players a lot of money uh, and that's not what you want to be in the NBA you don't want that situation because uh, you're going to go nowhere fast so yeah not not good listening for Sixers fans so apologies uh, we'll move on to Raptors Nets again not much to say about this but I have to say I was impressed by the Nets I've seen a few of these games um, the, the Nets were really good for three and a half quarters and then when it gets to sort of crunch time they just kind of looked like the inexperienced team they are and just sort of ended up forcing things when it didn't need to be forced or stopped doing things that they were doing really well Uh but all I could keep thinking is watching this team is like, imagine if this team had Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. It's that's kind of scary. If I was the rest of the East, I would not be excited about this. I think they're immediate contenders next year if both them guys are healthy. Uh, if Kyrie is actually playing or not, we don't, obviously it's still very much up in the air. But they are well coached, you know, well drilled. I think just the inexperience of being in the playoffs for a while really hampered them. Um, and obviously come up against an incredibly well-drilled team in the Raptors and that know what they're doing and you know are defending champions. So, uh, but did you agree? Did you see? Did you did you like a lot what you saw with the, the Nets? Yeah, yeah. No, just credit to them. Not much to say other than you know they really exceeded all of our expectations with being left off the court in terms of you know competitiveness uh, with the with the roster that they had but credit to them and credit to that coach that they had unfortunately you know Steve Nash will be coming in and taking his role but I hope they keep him around I'm not sure if, if they've maybe given him an assistant role or something but I'd like to see him being kept around in this this bubble yeah strange um Steve Nash obviously getting that title um being relatively inexperienced but 
I think I, I tweeted at the time. Kevin Durant obviously has big time for Steve Nash with his time with him at the Warriors. Um, Nash was there for the last couple of years, being like an assistant. So uh, I think Durant obviously made a big. That was kind of. I'm sure he had a lot of input in that in that decision being made. But I like Steve Nash. I, I don't see why that won't work. Um, obviously, being a rookie coach is never easy, but. We'll see. Um, he's going to have quite the nucleus of players um, to pick from there, so hopefully it all goes well for them. Um, we'll, we'll head into the second round, obviously, and we'll start off sort of with what the main talking point is, and that is Giannis and the Bucks. So um, I'll let you kick off. Obviously, if you want to do some Miami gloating, this is your time. You go ahead, sir. <laughs> um, look, I, I, I might start off some of my talk with... Uh, I've, I've delved into the statistical books, and I've come up with a couple of stats... Uh, that might be of intrigue. So on the Heat's end of things, we I think you mentioned it earlier, Jay Crowder, and how he has been a kind of formidable force in this series uh, and in the playoffs in general. And he has shot 21 threes, or he's made 21 threes at a clip of 43%, which I think is, you know, crazy uh, for a, a kind of veteran like Crowder who has kind of been a journeyman between teams and now defensively is a presence and also on the three-point line is a presence. So he has been really, uh, has been really good in this series. And then I think, I guess, there's two other things on the heat end of things. For me, uh, Tyler Hero uh, in game four and five kind of taken over for the heat offensively, uh, which is mad to think he was the youngest player on the court uh, between both teams and, uh, you know, kept the heat in it and forced an overtime in game four and then kind of pulled the heat away in game five uh, to, to really uh, uh, seal off the series, I guess. So then, as I guess as well, the kind of third, or the then I guess as well, the second offensive option going in Goran Dragic with, you know, 20 points a game, five assists and four rebounds for somebody that's nearly 34 or 35, you know, to be getting the best out of him as well. It just it seems like the Heat had the perfect mix of, your grizzled veterans in Crowder and Iguodala in Goran Dragic and then the youth in Adebayo, uh, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson. It just seemed like just a real solid unit. And a lot of people obviously, you know, didn't expect uh, the books to be ran over. But when you look to Chris Middleton as your top kind of offensive option to kind of turn the tides of a game, you know, that's when you should start to worry because... Uh, I think this series was over as soon as Giannis went out injured uh, in, I think it was game four. And yeah, look, it's really just such a pity. I think really it was over even pity. before that. They just looked, yeah. really, they looked out of their depth completely. And sure. I think you make a good point with Chris Middleton. And actually I was listening to uh, Bill Simmons and he said this as well. He says, Giannis is basically a centre, you know, as in like how he plays and uh, his size. And sure. no big centre has ever won basically a title on their own. They've always had a, a second guy who is a shot creator. Like, you know, your, your Shaq had your Kobe, you know, and that, you need that kind of person because unfortunately, we've seen this now with Giannis in the books for the last two years. He is he's stoppable, he's stoppable uh, when it comes to the playoffs, you know, and he only seems to have that one sort of attacking point, which is I'm going downhill you know, I'm, if I get past you, I'm dunking it. Do you know what I mean? Or uh, my size alone is going to let me get to this basket pretty easily. And it works in the regular season, but when a team actually has four, you know, a series to prepare for you and stop that one skill, you need then to look at your second and your third option. 
The problem with a team like the Bucks, who is so heavily dependent on your Yanises and even Chris Middleton, is your third, your fourth, your fifth guy who've been standing around most of the season in the corner waiting for dish offs. You're then asking them to start creating their own shots. You're then asking them to sort of, you know, but when Yanis gets stopped and kicks it out to, say, Kyle Corver and he's, he can't get a shot away, he doesn't know how to run an offense. You know, from that that moment, he's like, "Whoa, well, this doesn't happen in the regular season. Why, why are you asking me to do this now?" Uh, so that's that's a challenge for the Bucks looking forward, for, especially for Giannis. Is you know he needs to develop something else that he can do, or they need to build someone around. Middleton is fine; he's a very good player. Don't get me wrong. And in Game Four, when they looked like they were getting swept, he stepped up and made some big buckets. But that is not going to win you playoff series unfortunately if Chris Middleton is your third option then you're you're in, in an incredible position but he's not for the Bucks, and unfortunately after Middleton it does seem to sort of drop off a bit um, and by the looks of it Giannis isn't going anywhere They he's denied he said basically come out and said I'm not going to look for a trade the Bucks will offer him uh, an extension in the off season and it looks like it's going to be in the five year 220 million yeah 220 million range which is obviously incredible figures and way more than any other team can basically offer him due to Milwaukee having his rights so I think he'll stay but the Bucks will have to show him that they're going to kind of put the team around him and they didn't last year when they traded Malcolm Brogdon to basically avoid the luxury tax we've seen time and time again NBA superstars don't like when their teams dodge taxes it doesn't set the right precedent it doesn't set the winning precedent and we look back years and years ago to OKC and the, Hard, the James Harden trade. That was obviously to avoid luxury tax as well. And look what happened to that franchise. They did successful, but they didn't win any trophies, which they should have. So it's a case of this Giannis the next couple of years being fruitful with the Bucks Because obviously regular season, they've been, I think the last two years, they've been pretty much the best regular season team in the league. But twice now they've been stopped and bet by a lower seeded team in the playoffs and rather comfortably both times so that's not good um, sorry I've been rambling on there but uh, that's basically <laughs> my Bucks take but um, yeah like what do you think Giannis is going to go or do you think he's going to stay he's just I don't think the Bucks are going to trade him I, I've heard some talk that maybe you know because you know, there's a chance he could leave with the books, you know, roll the dice and try and get some sort of value for him. But I think it's nearly worth keeping someone like Giannis and roll the dice with him for a year than actually, you know, trading him for his assets in case he leaves because there's no there's no surety of that. And I think, you know, loyalty is a, 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 a kind of forgotten thing in the NBA these days, especially you see it with Kawhi Leonard who, if the Clippers win this year, there'll be you know, winning with three teams, this first ever player, I think that's one with three different title teams. And I think that's going to be more of the norm uh, going yeah. on now, whereas Giannis kind of represents the loyalty factor of, you know, drafted by a team, grew up in a city and, you know, kind of stays affiliated with them. So I, I would be surprised if he leaves. I don't think he would be the type to kind of go to LA or, you know, one of the bigger markets. But um, it, uh, you made a good point there. They really do have to, put more players around them, invest more. Uh, if they have to go into the luxury tax, they have to take that risk because ultimately what they have at the moment is not good enough. And, you know, if he goes down injured or if that happens again in a playoff series, they have to be ready, you know, to be able to, to respond to that. And they weren't in this series. Yeah, I think you make a good point with the loyalty as well. He's up there 
there's very few lads I can think at the top of my head that would be that loyal. I think Damien Lillard is one. I think Giannis is one. And then after that, I don't know. I, I, I probably is more. I just can't think at the top of my head. But it's, it's since LeBron left for Miami, it's become that sort of mindset of which I, again I don't know if it's right or I don't know if it's wrong because at the same time people preach loyalty to these teams. But you know, an NBA owner will trade a player like that if it makes sense. You know what I mean? So. It's it's tough it's tough to know how to go with it, but I yeah I think you're right. I don't think they need to trade him. Obviously, they run the risk then in a year if he leaves and they get nothing for him, which is obviously would be, you know, the worst case scenario for the Bucks. But I I, I think you're right. I think he stays. I think he signs. You know, in a year or two, if, if it hasn't worked, you can still trade him then. Uh, with a couple of years left, someone some team's gonna take Giannis. Um, but uh, you know, if we look at the other side. Obviously, a couple of potential teams is the Heat. I think I've seen the Raptors going around, and I even seen some Warriors talk, which would just be uh, typical of the Warriors to go and snatch Giannis and add that to the nucleus of their team. And um, I'm intrigued by the Heat taking him. Um, obviously, wouldn't look well after basically being well being beaten four uh, one to to join that team. You're looking at another Kevin Durant situation, obviously, but. That would be an incredible fit. Um, Raptors also would be an incredible fit. You're at, you're adding a superstar to an already amazing team. Um, would you rather see him go to the Heat or the Raptors? Yeah, this is the thing. Like in turn, Giannis. Yeah. The Heat or the Raptors? Oh Jesus! Uh, probably the Raptors, just because I think they're a bit more likable, and I think the Heat have enough assets as it is in terms of your younger players and it would actually make me sick if they went to the heat but uh, I'd I got my answer would be the Celtics I think it's your oh the Celtics no, no, okay. I like that uh, <laughs> I think he's going to say I really I'm not entertaining any Giannis trade rumours or or the likes I, I, I genuinely think he, he will say and until there's any sort of report or inkling that he will leave then I'll I'll start the conversation but I think honestly he holds the torch of of loyalty in the NBA now and if he you know passes that on and, and goes to another team I think that could have an adverse effect on the league for the next 10 years I really think it's that important if he stays or not so we'll see and by all accounts he is like a really really great lad do you know what I mean sound out and like he you know when the, when the books apparently when they were talking about protesting that game there was some ifs and buts, and he came in, and he was like, "No, we're you know we're protesting this game, we're boycotting it," um, sure. which again leads to a you know the talk of you know he doesn't value winning as much as he does doing the right thing, which I don't think can be said for a lot of other players, and I'm including LeBron in that because, um, well, we we can get into that a different time, but I you know I think he, I think Giannis basically is is that kind of player who would. He would stay. Uh, not, look, it's it's very lucrative for him to stay. Two hundred twenty million over five years um, is not a bad deal by any uh, any uh, extent. So, um, it's a it's a it's a win win for kind of Giannis in that sense. But we'll see. I think you're right. I don't think he leaves. Um, obviously, the Heat through to the conference finals for the first time since uh, the LeBron era, <clears throat> and I don't know. I I wouldn't back against them. Uh, having only lost one game so far, so um, winning's a habit. So we'll see. But uh, who are they going to face? Is it going to be Boston, Toronto? So obviously Boston three two up at the moment. Um, you're a Celtics fan, obviously going two 0 up pretty early. Did you think that it was game over, or were you still fearful of the Raptors? 
watched a couple of the games now, uh, or all the games actually, being a Celtics fan. You know, some of the games you kind of dabble in and out, but obviously when you're a diehard fan, you, you like to cover uh, or watch and support every, every game. But what I've seen from these games is that, you know, Toronto have won two games. And one of those games was finished with a, a kind of look at the draw, OG and an OB three-pointer. And the three games that Boston have won were not that close. Um, so I really would be surprised if this goes to seven. I think it's it's Boston's there for the taking. But, you know, a couple of things in this series. Uh, really surprised with how terrible uh, Pascal Siakam has been. Really not the all-star level player that we expected, averaging 15 points per game. Um, you really expect a lot from him and you expect a lot from Kyle Lowry as well. And both of them are shooting less than 25% from three, which is pretty disappointing. Uh, if you're a Toronto fan. And then on the flip side, I've been really impressed with uh, some of the rim protection from Boston. Daniel Tice, Robert Williams coming in off the bench has put in really good minutes, uh, which is good to see. Um, It's kind of worrying for Toronto again that Jason Tatum is out rebounding uh, every single Toronto player, including Marcus Gasol and Sergi Baca. I think Marcus Gasol is one year away from retirement. uh, And I think Ibaka is having a great series and it's actually one one of their better three-point shooters. But um, it's, that's the thing. I think it's a lot of it, the commentators have mentioned it during the game. A lot of this series goes down to, to being shooting the best. And uh, the games that Boston have lost, they haven't shot well from three. And in general, in the series, Toronto haven't shot well from three. They've been over-relying on you know, a few lucky three-pointers from Sergi Baca and uh, over-relying on the kind of volume three-point shooting of Fred Van Fleet. So... You know, it's not good, uh, I guess, for Toronto. I think they're on tender hooks now, and I'd be really surprised to see it go seven games. Yeah, I think you're right. And by Serge Ibaka, as you mentioned, um, is questionable for um, oh, game yes. six. So he was in a, he's in a walking boot. By, I've seen reports that his teammates expect him to play, but even if he does play yeah. and he's not 100%, that's, I think, yeah, I think that's the, the, the damning of Toronto because he is, sure. sure, in this series especially, become very important. But um, I've seen some interesting stats kind of with the Celtics. So, you know, when Kemba Walker basically is on the floor, there are nine points per 100 possessions better than when he isn't on the floor. So that shows you kind of how important he's become for that team. Yeah. Um, so basically just keep him out for 48 minutes and you, you'll win. Simple as. Um, no, it's <laughs> obviously not that simple. But um, yeah, I think Boston are, I think they just have too much. They're two solid teams, but when you look at them on paper, Boston have the more superstar. You know, like Tatum is a star. Brown is obviously a star in his own right. You still have Kemba. You know, you still have these kind of players that just... Are just a little, bit, I think, a little bit better than what Toronto offers. By no means, Toronto are not a bad team, and this has been a very good defense of their title, considering who they lost um, last year, and no one really gave them a hope to even be competitive. So, um, I think you make a point, though. Yeah, like your two kind of stars of Lowry and Siakam just haven't sort of played well, which I think is a credit to Celtics' defense because you have a couple, a lot of long lads in that team, um, and their defense can be smothering. I think that's what's happened with Toronto at the moment. They're just kind of they're not being let play it well, uh, rather than just not playing well. But I think you're right. Unless Kyle Lowry or Siakam goes off in Game Six and puts up big numbers, I think this is going to be four two to the Celtics. Um, Celtics versus Heat then in the Conference Finals, which is um, interesting. I, li- I like that bat- I like that uh, matchup. Um, I think that should be a good tight game. But we'll see. You never know. I'm not counting out the champions yet. Then. 
I always say you have to respect the champions until they're you know officially out. So we'll see. Um, we'll go over to the West uh, Western Conference now, and obviously Lakers playing the Rockets now. Rockets kind of took game one. I don't know if that was the case if they were just still kind of in the flow from game seven against OKC, and the Lakers had a few days off. Um, I'm not sure, but uh, t- took game one. Lakers have taken both both games since. Um, the Lakers seem to. Well, I, I know in game two and three got out to sort of decent leads and by halftime are up and kind of big but the Rockets they're very similar to the Rockets and I don't know if you'd agree with this but very similar to the Golden State Warriors as in you need to be literally 30 points up or else they're still they can still get back in the game just because they shoot so many trees do you know what I mean like with the Warriors you'd have to literally be 30 or 40 points up or else they're like you know Steph could hit five trees here and they're back in this game with all the momentum and it's just ridiculous so do you think am I right or am I wrong with that yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, when you're looking, this is probably the series that I've probably looked at the least uh, because I just feel like the Lakers are going to push this out uh, at any point. And um, I think the Rockets, looking at the stats, have actually been shooting well uh, from the three-point line. You know, 35%, most of their core guys have been shooting, which has been really good. Um, but... I just feel like there's just a bit more star power and a bit more kind of playoff resume in the Lakers lineup. And I'm telling you, the big thing for me here, uh, looking at the, especially the last game, is uh, playoff Rondo is back. Uh, <laughs> he is, he is, he is. For, for one night only, maybe, but he's back. <laughs> yeah. And playoff Rondo is averaging 13 points a game, seven assists, and shooting 40% from three points, which is uh, brilliant for him. So, you know, he has teamed up with, with Anthony Davis and went on a playoff run before. Um, so he's obviously familiar with that setup, but he is, you know, a force to be reckoned with playoff Rondo. And I've seen it as a Celtics fan when he was playing with the Bulls, even, you know, this is going back three or four years. Um, also jumping out on the stats here in this series is uh, the rim protection and the lack of rim protection from Houston, obviously without running a viable center in their, in their starting lineup. And uh, on the other end is how LeBron has had so much success with his chase down blocks because he is averaging 2.7 blocks per game uh, in this series, which, you know, is above the, the, the league leader in blocks per game during the regular season. So, you know, that's supposed to show how well he has been around the rim. So, look, uh, overall this series, I think I'm expecting probably Lakers in sixth or Houston could sneak one more game. But uh, overall, there's just... Uh, it just seems like the Lakers are on a level above Houston in my opinion yeah I think you're right as well and I think another stat to kind of look out for is the Lakers LeBron and AD is going to get you what they're going to get you you know what I mean they're going to combine for you know 60 points probably every game in around that mark it's the bench kind of with the Lakers if they perform well I don't think that they lose I don't think they lose to anyone um, mm-hmm. But if they're like we've seen in the first kind of in, in the last few regular season games, I remember like I think only two guys on the bench average, you know, were getting more than 10 points a game, um, which is not going to be good enough, unfortunately, when it comes to this sort of thing. But you know, I think it was game two, the, the, the Lakers bench outscored the Houston bench 41 points 13. You know, when you have a 30 point deficit in, in your bench, plus LeBron and AD getting you 60, that's you know, you're going to win pretty much every game you play. I, like I think as well, once they score over 100 points in a game, they're 
they've like a ninety eight percent winning record. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. uh, they are they're an incredibly high ceiling team, the Lakers, but they do need a few things to go right. Um, and credit to PJ Tucker, he has been you know doing incredibly well at the center position for his size. Um, and Anthony Davis sometimes does struggle with him, as does LeBron, which is amazing. But over a full series, that's going to be tough. Uh, unfortunately, I think you're right. I think, you know, look, at the, the Rockets could go out and shoot 40 feckin' three-pointers, you know what I mean? And then just, you know, kill you that way. You know, it's 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 what they live and die by. So some days it does come off and some days it works, but Westbrook has been ice cold this series. Um, and typical Westbrook isn't stopping shooting he still will shoot the shoot the shoot the rock even if it's not going well which i'm all you know i respect but it must be incredibly frustrating as a rockets fan um <laughs> when he does it but we'll see um i think yeah i think the lakers have too much i don't particularly want to see i'm not a rockets fan uh, i'm not a big fan of the way they play the game so i don't particularly want to see them win this game um and I'm, part of me does want to see the Lakers win the whole thing out because I just want to see the LeBron Jordan discussions. If he wins another one, it'll be. Of course. It's like you know the gif of your man eating the popcorn, kind of just waiting. It's it's, it's, <laughs> it's that's what it would be like because it'll just be. Skip so me, listen the likes. Yeah. Oh man, he's oh he's so <laughs> I just can't like <laughs> I follow him on Twitter, but I do you ever hate follow someone? Do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can just get pissed off with their tweets. But he's like he's on Twitter today, basically saying like Rondo was the most important player in that court last night, and was the best player on the court as well. And it's like, all right, like he played really well, but like, come on, just like he's just doing. He didn't play just, any defense, so there you go. No, but uh, with Rondo, on your Rondo point though, he has um, he's a better. Well, I don't know. He's I think he's very similar to Patrick Beverly. Uh, is that a crazy thing to say or? Is a similar sort of role, as in he's the, yeah. he's the antagonist. He will sure, sure. He'll get in Harden's face. He'll poke the ball out and just not make life too comfortable for the, the you know the the Westbrooks and the Hardens, which is what you want. You don't want your star players doing that. You want you know Rondo does it. He had five, I think he had five steals in game three, which is just incredible, uh, and shot some three pointers. And my God, if he gives you that every game, then you're right. Uh, playoff Rondo is officially back. But again, we've seen this come and go as quick as you know, very quickly. So we'll see. <laughs> uh, we'll move on to uh, the last sort of uh, series we have. Obviously, the Clippers, um, after beating my beloved Mavs, uh, are now leading Denver two one. Um, first game was a blowout. I think Denver may have had a game seven kind of hangover, not actually a hangover, but I mean, as in just exhausted uh, and yeah. you know mentally drained from uh, an incredible series with Utah. Clippers played well, but you know, and credit to Denver, come back. Um, Murray again has been good I think Jokic has been incredible he just seems to hit these shots that are when you look at them sh- when you look when you look at them shooting it you're like that's not going in and they just seem to drop in um, in like weird body positions and it's just it's like I think what people call you know an old man game where he just kind of just throws it up and it goes in so and credit to him he's been amazing um, Kawhi and PG though have kind of been like Paul George is back playing good stuff and Kawhi's back playing good stuff he had a stinker in game two he went four from 17 from the field which isn't happening very often um, for Kawhi so uh, the, the Nuggets should have won that game and they did uh, and then last night I, see, I caught the last or quarter of this this game the game three and Nuggets looked a better team up until about four minutes to go and then Clippers just sort of upped the pressure a little bit uh, you know, and the rotations on defense and their closeouts were just a little bit more crisp, a little bit more 
pressurised and the Nuggets didn't look like they knew what to do with it and they, they couldn't handle it. And then Kawhi and Paul George made some big shots and Beverly made some big plays and then it's game over then. Do you know what I mean? They have that gear. Um, they can't seem to do it for a full game. It does seem to come and go, which is not... I wouldn't love that if I was a Clippers fan. But oh, no. uh, it is there in them. Um, do you give Denver much hope in this or is it going to be Clippers sort of in six and seven? It, I, I, I would be surprised, but, you know, considering what we've seen from the Mavericks and, you know, this is not me throwing shade at the Mavericks, but like, I hope not, you know, Johnny. I hope not. <laughs> it just shows that the Clippers are beatable, is all I'm saying. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for them to take a game from them um, and watching that game, it, it seems to me, you mentioned there, Jokic having a really big series and you're right in saying that because it seems like he is an absolute mismatch there mm. for, for uh, Zuba. Hadouk has been, you know, really stepped up since uh, the Clippers came to the bubble. He's really become more than kind of the the kind of thin European centre that come off the bench for the Lakers before they traded him. You know, he's really come, kind of found his role here for this Clippers team. But, you know, he's no match for Nikola Jokic and what he's like offensively. So that's a, a problem that the Clippers will have to address. A couple of things on the stats sheet here, because I am, of course, drilling out the old stats. Uh Paul George has been shooting really well from threes, shooting 46%, uh, which is great because uh, you mentioned uh, Stephen there in the last series how he uh, went to sleep for a while and that obviously was advantage status. So that's good to see if you're a Clippers fan. And then uh, I had mentioned in the last podcast how Gary Harris was was very important defensively and I think he still is, you know, guarding some of the better Clipper players. But he is also shooting really well from three so far in this series, shooting actually 47%. So... Uh, they'll hope that for that to keep up. But ultimately, it seems like Kawhi hasn't reached his full potential in this series. He's only averaging about 22 points per game, uh, which, you know, is decent numbers. But for Kawhi, you know, you'd, you'd be expecting 30, 30 plus, especially getting into this end of the playoffs. So you'd expect a step up from him. And I, I would expect a step up as well from Jamal Murray, because as you mentioned, you know, this is a player that in the last series put up near 50 points in certain games. So, you know, he's, he's, I think, a stat that stood out for me with him. He was putting up 37% field goal percentage, which is pretty awful uh, in terms of just high volume shooting and really low efficiency. So, you know, it, 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 they're the two factors for me, or, or there's a number of factors, I guess, I spoke about. But, you know, if they can address the mismatch, uh, the Jokic kind of Zuba, uh, Zubac mismatch and try and keep Jamal Murray a little bit uh, less efficient and quiet, then its Clippers will run away with this. And I probably expect Denver to take one more game, but probably 4-2 in my eyes. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't know if we touched this, touch on this the last podcast, but what do you think is like of Kawhi as a leader? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. Like looking at some of the other teams, and like Jimmy Butler, for example, um, I find Kawhi takes a lot of mid-range shots uh, that we know, you know, if, if it was Carmelo Anthony or if it was somebody else that, you know, prides themselves on this little mid-level, we'd be slating them for it. But because it's Kawhi, not many people mention it. Um, so, you know, there is that in, in one sense. But as a leader, I mean, vocally, he's not somebody that we would recognize anyway off the court as being a huge presence um, and not the most inspiring in terms of his words. Uh, I guess definitely in terms of his actions on the court. I mean, he's won finals MVPs, won championships. So there is that. But 
I don't know. I, I would imagine if he's what we see during the interviews and on the course, <laughs> the kind of silent leadership wouldn't really work for me. I don't know how you feel. Yeah, I, agree. I just I just don't see it. I think when I look at that Clippers team, I'm like, who is the leader of the team? And even Paul yeah. George isn't overly like. Is it Patrick Beverly? Is uh, is it is it literally yeah. like down to that sort of thing? Like Toronto <laughs> last year, I know that about it. Kyle Lowry was the leader of that team. Like, you know, Kawhi is your star, but when it comes to you know talking on the court, talking off the court, and huddles, that was Kyle Lowry. You know, LeBron oh. is by by a mile the leader of his team and always has been. Kobe was always leader of his team. You know, you, you you have those vocal guys, and I think you need that. And don't get me wrong, Kawhi is, you know, arguably the best player in the game. But when things are gonna go, and when things hit hit the fan, I don't know. Do his teammates look to him? Uh, they obviously don't look to him vocally, as you say. So it's a case if he goes in and puts a big, sh- makes a big shot, makes a defensive play, which he's very capable of. My God, he, he blocked uh, Murray with one finger the other night, which was incredible. Um, but. If that if he doesn't make the big shot, if he doesn't make the big play, what what happens? Is it does it fall apart? Is it a case where like your the likes of Mar- Marcus or uh, Morris and Beverly are doing all the talking? Which you know, don't get me wrong, Beverly is he's a polarizing player, but I, I'd love to have him on my team. Um, if I was supporting the team, but I don't know, I don't know. He he just Kawhi just can I don't know. It's it's, it's impossible to tell. He's he's like mm. no other player I've ever seen. In the sense that he just doesn't say anything, never yeah. has, never like. There's a picture going around of him on the internet now, and he was obviously a kid, and he's like, I don't know what the context is, but he's got two girls beside him, and he's just sitting there looking. He's not even smiling. It's just like, <laughs> like what is like what goes through his head? I don't know. I, I, yeah, we'll see. Like obviously he's you know something's working for him. He's he's won a championship, and he's a great opportunity to win another one. But um, I think you're right in the sense. I think the Clippers win this series. I think I want to see a Clippers Lakers conference finals. Um, I think everyone does, so I think we're going to get it too, which is great. Uh, and hopefully, unfortunately, those games are going to be at two o'clock in the morning here, which is really annoying. Um, but we'll get to see the some good highlights and maybe stay up for one or two of them, and uh, maybe call in sick the next day. You know, you know what I'm saying, Johnny? You know what I'm saying? Sure. Um, it's worth it. It's worth <laughs> yeah, it. <laughs> back, back off, back off. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, that's how it wraps it up. Uh, we'll hopefully um, revisit this maybe uh, next week as well if if you're about Johnny, and uh, we'll see. Yeah, um, yeah where, How it goes, but as always, good to chat to you, my friend. Good to chat to some hoops with yeah. you, uh, and we'll do it again uh, next week. Perfect. Thanks, Stephen. Right, Thanks for joining me. See you soon.